Good morning, everyone. Hello, my name is Felix, if we've not met before. And if you first time you've been here, then welcome. Um, so, this is the Bible verse we're looking at that just came up. Let me just give you a heads up, though. This talk is in three parts. The first part, we're going to look at the Bible passage. Second part, I will go off on what appears to be a tenuous tangent, okay? But the third part, I'll bring it back home again, and we'll end with the passage again. But let me just pray before we start. Thank you, Father God. Thank you that you are here and that you always want to speak to us. I pray just give us ears and hearts that will hear from you today so that we leave this place changed from how we were when we came in. For your glory. Amen. So Dave Green spoke last week on Hebrews 11.1 1, about faith. And we're carrying on looking at faith. When I thought about faith, I thought, I'm sure I've heard people talk about faith before. Not just in the Bible. And I thought some quotes. So I looked up some quotes. And here they are. I think I've got one up here, if the uh, AV is uh, operating. Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. Baptist minister, leader of the, in the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. So his quote. Faith is taking the first step, even when you can't see the full staircase. And there's another quote. Steve Jobs, co-founder of the tech giant Apple, innovator, controversial figure at times to some. What did he say about faith? There it is. Sometimes life is going to hit you in the head with a brick. Don't lose faith. Who else have we got? Helen Keller. Uh, when she was young, she became deaf and blind. But then she went on to overcome that. And she became like a disability rights advocate, an author, and lecturer. Incredible story, if you get the chance to ever look up Helen Keller. What did she have to say? Faith is the strength by which a shattered world will emerge into the light. And one more. Who have we got here? George Michael. He's, mu he's much more succinct. You've got to have faith. Now, to be fair, the, uh, the longer quote is, I've got it written here so I didn't forget the words. Uh, you've got to have faith. You've got to have faith. You've got to have faith, a faith of faith. You've got to have faith, a faith of faith. It's a bit too long for the screen. If you, if you go home and look up the rest of the lyrics, let me just give you a heads up. He's not talking about Christian faith. He's no Cliff Richard. Okay. But let's keep going. So what we were looking at, Hebrews 11.1 1, last week, because it continues from that. Let's have a quick look at that again. To have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for and to be certain of the things we cannot see. And so the writer of Hebrews, uh, the book was written in the first century for the church at that time. We don't really know who wrote it. No one's totally pinned it down. But if you read the whole book, you can see the writer is encouraging his readers, his listeners, to not lose faith. In difficult times or in easy times, God's promises are certain and solid. Don't lose your trust in him. And interestingly, at the time, they're not really talking about faith to believe that God exists. Because in the ancient world, supernatural stuff and gods and spirituality was taken as read. It isn't about believing God exists, it's about believing in him, 
in this God, in his character, his words. And he was, mentions other people just before this passage, of Noah, Abel, Enoch, alongside Abraham and Sarah, who all had faith in God. Again, not simply believing he was there, but believing in him, trusting him, trusting in his promises, and having a hope for the future because it was rested in him. So this is what it means when it says they had faith in God. And the Greek word for faith, always interesting to look at the Greek word, is very closely linked to the word conviction, which is a great description. You know, this wasn't a casual belief. There was a conviction in them. They were all in, you could say. Convicted that trusting God and in him, having faith in him and his promises, was the right way to go. Abraham and Sarah left home, they up sticks, to go where God was leading them. They were all in. See, God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of nations. That he and his wife, Sarah, were old and without children. God told them their descendants would, would, would be like the stars in the sky, would be like the grains of sand on the beach. And he would give them their own land to live in, their own country. But this is quite exciting. I think that's a Bible verse. The, the writer goes further. He goes further into the future. If you still got your Bibles open, look at verse 10. It says, Abraham did this because he was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. And even further, beyond the passage we're looking at today, so apologies for that, but in verse 16, it says, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a heavenly city for them. Beyond the individual promise lies the backdrop of an eternal promise. God is preparing a final place for them, his heavenly city. And this would be important for the original listeners, because at the time they were going through persecution for their faith. And Hebrews 35, I'm going to go a little bit more further in, was even more explicit. It says, But others trusted God and were tortured, preferring to die rather than turn to God and be free. They placed their hope in the resurrection to a better life. So what's this mean for us today? You can probably see the obvious message, the sermon I could do. You could sum it up like this. Put your faith in God, Believe in him, trust him for the future. We could tick that box, couldn't we? Wrap it up now. Anyone fancy a tea and coffee? We can make a move already. Oh, there it is. Did you just make this up, Dave? Quick bit of photoshopping. But that's right there. Put your faith in God, believe in him, and trust him for the future. We could wrap it up there. But I'm concerned that if we did that, it could sound a little bit like one of those preachers, not the type you get here in other locations, but the type of preach which sounds like you're being reprimanded. A bit like a, a, bit like a old school report. Must try harder. Could do better. So look, let's dig a little deeper. We'll hold on for that tea and coffee. So the title today is Faith and the Future. Because it seems the sort of faith we're looking at is intrinsically linked to the future. What's going to happen next? What might not happen next? See, we don't, you could say we don't need faith for the past, 
You could argue we don't need faith for the present because we are currently here. We need faith for what's going to happen next or what's not going to happen next. Our faith comes into its own then. The next few seconds, the next few minutes, the next hour, the next day, the next month, the next week, the next few years, the next 10 years plus. And without even thinking about it, we put our faith into a multitude of places and people and things. It's so every day, we wouldn't even call it faith. For example, today, if you've got a car, you've got in your car, driven to church, and your car would have got you here. You had faith in your car. Thank you, car. You would have had faith when you came in that the wonderful Claire Purdom would have found you a seat. And she did. You all sit in. Thank you, Claire Purdom. And you would have had faith that Tom would have chosen a, a competent and engaging speaker. To spe- to- Let me finish. To preach you today. Close enough. But see, sometimes the car may not work. Sometimes, as wonderful as Claire Purdom is, she may not be able to find you a seat. Sometimes the preacher may not be to your liking. Because we can't control the future. Even when we do put our faith in trustworthy people and places. So we all do this. We mitigate against the future. We minimize against the possible stuff, the bad stuff particularly, that could happen. We put things in place. We make plans. We make backup plans. There's a lucrative industry based around this whole premise. It's called insurance. But on a positive, we even try to change the future. We won't call it that, obviously, but we do things to change the future based on how we perceive it, based on our experience and understanding. It's quite natural because doing nothing in the present results in nothing in the future or less than nothing what some might may call entropy, which is um, the, the, the slow, uh, inevitable decline that results from inactivity. So you retrain to get a better job. You put your kids in a good school so they get a good education. You eat prunes, drink kombucha, and lay off the Big Macs so you can have a healthy body. You save a little bit of cash each month so you can have a nice Christmas with a tree, presents, and a big turkey. Whatever we put our faith in carries a promise. So again, a particular brand of toothpaste promises to give you gleaming white teeth and healthy guts. Putting your money in savings promises that you won't feel insecure or worried and you'll have enough for a rainy day. The gym membership, that promises that by the summer you have toned abs, firm biceps and no floppity doppity bits. And we see it in politics, activism, and social movements. They say to you, follow us. Follow us. Put your faith here in us. And you can follow the blue path. You can follow the red path. Or the yellow path. Or the purple path. Or the green path. Or the rainbow path. See, all of them are saying, put your trust in us, and we will promise you a brighter future. Full of hope, equality, justice, freedom, and trains that run on time. But all these things let us down. The well-promoted toothpaste is no better than your unbranded toothpaste, really. Sorry to break it to you. Having lots of money doesn't guarantee happiness or solve your insecurities. There'd be no such thing as sad or worried rich people. 
And the gym membership only works if you turn up and put the effort in. As I well know. And politicians let us down. Movements struggle at times to deliver on their ideals. Promises and faith. And of course, the best example where promises and faith come together is in marriage. Specifically, the wedding ceremony. Where faith and promises come together. Do you take this woman to be your bride for better? Oh yes, better sounds good. Better than today, I'm in a great time already. I'm definitely going to promise it gets better. For worse? Well, hang on a minute. You just said it's going to get better. You're kind of changing your mind here, Vicar. For richer? Will I love her if she's got more money? <laughs> I think you can answer that yourself. For poorer? Hang on. What? She has less money. She had more just now. She's gone bang. What's going on? In sickness? Hang on, Rev. Hang on, Rev. She's ill now as well. I'm not sure this is what I signed up for. And in health? Oh, phew, she's got better. I like her healthy. I need her healthy. Forsaking all others. Hang on, what's that? All others? That's a lot of people. That's a lot of forsaking you're asking me to do, Vicar. Till death do you part. Keep it light. This is a happy occasion. What are you bringing up death for? So you're asking me if I want to marry this impoverished, sickly bride, not sleep with anyone else until I kick at the bucket or she kicks the bucket. Am I understanding this right, Vicar? Oh, hang on, what are you saying? What's that? Oh, she's making the same promises about me too. If I get poor, if I get sick, sexual exclusivity... Well, if that's the case, if we're both promising it, then I do. But sadly, despite the promises to be faithful, we know marriage doesn't always last. In fact, broken relationships of any type can be the most painful when they don't last or work out. Family, friends, work, colleagues, and even in church at times. Because we long for intimacy for trust and faithfulness. Promises don't mean anything if the promise maker isn't faithful. Hold on to that thought. Because where else can we put our faith and trust? What about religion? Spirituality? There's plenty of options out there, not just Christianity. Now, all the various traditions and rituals, the rules and ceremonies, what do they promise? A good life? Enlightenment, inner harmony, or simply a safe haven to rest your head when the boatman finally comes to call. All sounds nice. But you see, the, the tangible expression of any religion is not meant to be an end in itself for simply making you feel better for today and tomorrow. It's meant to be a doorway into a more meaningful reality. See, none of the images or icons, the observance or customs mean anything if they don't draw you or lead you into an authentic place, an authentic encounter. Oh dear, you may be thinking, do you realize what you just said, Flix? I knew eventually you'd trip up on something heretical. You've just lumped all religions together. 
You basically said they were all the same. You put Christianity in with the others, and you put the others in with Christianity. Do you realize that's what you just said, Felix? I'm sorry if that's what you heard. That's what you said. Okay. I'm sorry if that's how it came across. Because I haven't finished talking. Let me continue. Let me clarify. Because you are right. Christianity can be the same as any other religion if you miss the really important bit. It's the bit that makes Christianity unique among any other philosophy or belief system. And it's just three words. Just three little words. Jesus is God. God the Son. The Almighty as a man. And let me just read you some of his own words from the Gospel accounts that any of you can find in the Bible. I'm telling you the truth, Jesus replied. Before Adam was born, I am. Then they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and left the temple. Because they would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about when he used the phrase, I am, and applied it to himself. Because that was the phrase God had used in the Old Testament with Moses. It's incredibly controversial. Which is why the religious authorities wanted to stone him. Another quote. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never die. No one can snatch them away from me. My Father has given me is greater than everything and no one can snatch them away from the Father's care. The Father and I are one. And again, they picked up stones to throw at him. They knew exactly what he was saying. And the last quote. Seeing how much faith they had, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my sons, your sins are forgiven. Some of the teachers of the law who were sitting there thought to themselves, how does he dare talk like this? This is blasphemy. God is the only one who can forgive sins. You see, no one else has claimed this level of divinity, of equality with God. Not to this extent. You'll see through history, many People who have uh, claimed to be the mouthpiece of a deity or a herald or a prophet. And you are right, my amateur historian friends. There have been many Caesars and Pharaohs, Incas and other cultures who claimed to be gods, but that was with a small g. And often within a pantheon of other small g gods. But the claim to be God himself, the creator of the universe, is unheard of outside of Jesus. And more than his teaching, this is what got him into trouble. When the authorities heard him saying this, that's when they started thinking, we need to shut this guy up. I remember a friend of mine, he wasn't a Christian, interestingly, he noted that it is hard to deny the exclusivity of Jesus when he looked at the words, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And what I'm about to say is as true for the original listeners as it is for us now. You see, if you honestly believe that Jesus has the authority of the one who has the eternal perspective, who sees the beginning from the end, then you cannot ignore his words or his actions. Because through his death and resurrection, he made a way for us to know God the Father in an intimate and loving relationship. This is the authentic encounter. And that's why we can have faith when the future seems uncertain, or when the future may fill us with dread and fear. 
Because faith isn't simply wishful thinking or fingers crossed. It's not blind faith, it's eyes open faith. Because we know our God as a perfect dad. We can put our trust and confidence in his character and his words, his promises. For example, and again it's in Hebrews, the writer's quoting Deuteronomy, I would never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus also said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So to know what God is like, just read about Jesus. And here's something else that's mind-blowing to consider. That this is the same God who fulfilled the promises to Abraham. To give him descendants beyond measure. Who gave a child to Sarah, even though she was beyond childbearing age. The God that turns situations on their head. Who does the impossible when everyone else says it's not possible. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. Because obviously at the time, they would have also gone through difficult times. They may have felt times that God had let them down. I've had it difficult to trust. But they eventually and inevitably came back to God. It's a difficult place to be when your prayers aren't answered, isn't it? When life hasn't turned out the way you thought. But where do you go after Jesus? Because he doesn't promise that life will be rosy and full of flowers and candy floss. Skipping through rainbow arched fields, flocks of sheep serve you canapes and soda stream. That's not what he promises. He describes the life of following him as a narrow path. Few find it or want to walk it. But if you're in that difficult place, then Hebrews was written for you. The original readers would have known torture and persecution. And they were asking, when is Jesus coming back? The writer encourages them. Don't lose faith. Remember his promises. Remember his faithfulness, even if you can't see it today. Because if we can grasp this kind of faith, this kind of conviction, as described here, cemented and planted in his character and his words, it changes everything. It doesn't mean you stop trying or you become inactive, but it does take the burden off you. The burden of responsibility, the burden of worry, disappointment, fear. The burden of expectation put on yourself by others or even by you. You can rest in the hope and assurance that God has the future in hand. And beyond any individual promise lies that backdrop of his eternal promise. God's working on a bigger picture, preparing a final place for his children to be with him in his heavenly city. But as for today, as you walk into the future, you can know you are not alone. He goes ahead of you. He is behind you. He walks beside you. Put your faith in God. Believe in him and trust in him. Because the promise maker is faithful. And if you're okay, because I've been talking about promises, I'm going to read some of the promises out from the Bible. Just over you. So feel, feel free to close your eyes and reflect as I do this. And then I'll pray to close. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. 
So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. But those in hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we know that in all things, God's, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Come now, let us argue this out. No matter how deep the stain of your sin, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. I can make you as white as wool. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. <clears throat> 